Paul is trying to get these different gifts to all play this one beautiful sheet of music for God's glory and for the help of the people who are at this particular place. And one of the major problems with the church at Corinth was they, the culture itself was a, a very prideful culture. It was a very look-at-me kind of culture. It was, a, it was a culture that was excited about giftedness, but in a way that made you look good. And unfortunately, the people who genuinely, I believe, got saved and came into the church, they imported that kind of character into the church. And so instead of it just being money or some other kind of uh, opportunity out in the world, they said, hey, I'll just take these things inside the church and I'll use those things to make myself look good. I want to make sure when I come into the church, everyone's looking at me at the world, but now I'm in the church and I need to make sure people notice me in here too. And so they're using their gifts for themselves. Their behavior is actually blocking the glory of God. I mean, what, what a terrible reputation for a church. That, that when people who are looking for God come inside, it gets blocked by the people of God. Not, not propelled, but actually blocked because they want to make sure that they're well known. Thankfully, the Corinthians have a very courageous leader in Paul, and so he, he tackles this issue head on in chapters 12, 13, and 14, which we'll talk about in the next few weeks. And he he delivers this strong exhortation and correction. And I'm going to list what, what's going to be six points here. So if you're a person who likes a list, you'll like this. And so just different points that Paul addresses he goes through this text. Let's look at them one by one. First, Paul's first point. Let's look at the text together, verse 1 and then verse 4. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Concerning spiritual gifts, the, the people had written him a letter, and he's responding back to things that they ask about, and they ask about spiritual gifts. And then verse 4, he begins to explain, now there are varieties of gifts, but what you need to know, and it's not well translated, I think, here, is the word for spiritual gifts in verse 1 and the word for gifts in verse 4 is not the same Greek word. And I think that's intentional by Paul, and we miss it in the English text, so I wanted to bring your attention to it. The, the word for spiritual gifts in verse 1 is pneuma, which means spiritual things. It's only one Greek word. So they said, hey, spiritual things are happening to us, spiritual experiences we're having, and we would like to talk to you about the spiritual experiences we are having and when Paul writes back now in verse 4, he, he changes it, and it's an important change. There are a variety of gifts, and that word, gifts, is charisma. And that means grace gifts. And I'm trying to shift your attention just by the choice of my vocabulary words, Paul's saying. This, this word charisma, I love that one scholar put it, divine gratuity. So he saves you, and then he gives you a tip with gifts. That's how I see it. It's this divine gratuity. He's already done this massive thing for you, but 
He's, God's still wanting to bless. He's got money pouring out of his pocket, so he's, he wants to tip you with these gifts. And so with this one change in vocabulary, Paul offers an immediate corrective of the mindset of the Corinthians because he's, he's wanting to shift off of spiritual experiences they're, happen, they're, they're experiencing to the gifts that God is giving. Do you see the shift there? I want to shift away from your experiences to the giver of those gifts. And it might seem like a subtle shift, but I think it's important. And just the way I pictured it is imagine, especially on today, being outside on a beautiful sunny day, and you have a little mirror or a compact case, let's say. And you go outside on a beautiful sunny day, and you just stare at yourself in the mirror. You've got all this glory around but you're staring at yourself, admiring yourself. That's Corinth. They just, they're they in love with themselves. And Paul comes in and he takes this little mirror and he just tilts it maybe 15 or 20 degrees. And what does that do? Now the focus is on the sun and you get the result of it. I mean, you actually light up. But when somebody sees you and notices how bright it is, they go, what do they say? Well, the sun is awfully bright today. They don't pay attention to you. They notice it's coming from somewhere. In other words, this gifting isn't emanating out of you. It's coming from a place. And so instead of the focus being on you, you do light up. You, you have gifts. You should use them. But it actually draws people to the sun and not draws people to you. You understand that? That's what Paul's trying to do. He's not saying don't have gifts and stuff and don't use them and don't light up. He's just saying do it in a such a way that when you light up, people say it's coming from another source. Not I'd like to be a lot like Paul Phillips. It's no, I'd like to be I'd like to know the God that Paul Phillips serves. Because I notice something shining on him that I know isn't actually coming from him. And I want to know what that source is. And that source is Jesus. So I think it's important that Paul just right away, he's trying to shift the focus. That won't be the last, last time he does that. It's Paul's second point here, verses 2 and 3. Now I commend, uh, let's see, sorry. Now you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. So they had all kinds of idol worship and different idols that they went into worship in Corinth. I, don't, I want you to understand that no one in the spirit could ever say Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So point number two, uh, Paul is trying to help them see or to remember their background. Some of them came from a Gentile background where they went to uh, temples full of idols. We've talked about that many times in the context of the, of the letter. And I want you to know that you don't, you don't come to a temple like that anymore. You come to a, a living God who can speak. And obviously some of the people are Jewish people. They've come out of a Jewish background. And a Jewish background would help you remember Deuteronomy 21, that everyone who is hung on a tree is cursed. So a Jewish person hearing first about Jesus being Christ crucified would say well then jesus was cursed 
So you guys are coming from these two backgrounds into this different place. And I just want to remind you that you're, you're different now. And what makes you different is that the Holy Spirit has changed you. And now you say out loud, Jesus is Lord. And the very first gift, the very first gift by the Holy Spirit for every believer is to be able to meaningfully stand up and say, Jesus is Lord. Any person who meaningfully can say, Jesus is Lord. And we'll have the the people who are getting baptized today to say the same thing. If you meaningfully say, Jesus is Lord, then you are possessed by the Holy Spirit. You have the Holy Spirit. You can't say it without the Holy Spirit. And Paul's trying to say, hey, I know you guys are attracted to the shiny objects of the gifts And I'm going to talk about those in a few minutes. But I want you to know the massive shiny object is when somebody stands up and say, Jesus is Lord. That's incredible. Not not the healing. Not the prophecy. Not the words of wisdom. I mean, those are helpful. But the massive reality is we want, and the thing that we want to mostly celebrate is when somebody says, Jesus is Lord. I mean, I'm already ready to go out and baptize these people right now, right? Because you're going to say, yes, this is incredible. The work of the Spirit is in these people. And so Paul's trying to, again, he's trying to draw their attention off of themselves and their gifts and put it on the Lord, which is amazing. So just one corrective here. So let me just say this. Anyone who says Jesus is Lord, you could say you're a charismatic. It's not, oh, I raise my hands a lot or I can speak in tongues or no. If you say Jesus is Lord, you have the Holy Spirit. That's what that means. That's not what we mean in our culture, but that's what that actually means. And I would say you might run into this, especially in a charismatic culture, that somehow you, if you got saved, you're also waiting on this second baptism. It's called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And I'm not angry at these people. I think they're just misguided on this point. I just think all you have to do is read this text and understand. Everyone who can say Jesus is Lord has the Holy Spirit. Now, could the Holy Spirit manifest itself in you at different points? Oh, absolutely. Can you grow in knowledge of the Holy Spirit? Absolutely. Do you need a second baptism to receive the Holy Spirit? No, you don't. So I just want to make sure that's helpful because you might have run across that in your time. Paul's third point, verses 4 through 7. You see clearly what he's trying to do. There are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. Variety of service, same Lord. Variety of activities, same God. I just want you to see the pattern here. It's a Trinitarian pattern. You see it? Spirit, Lord. We know Lord is Jesus because it just said Jesus is Lord. Spirit, Lord, God. God is a Trinitarian God. He loves variety and unity in the church. He's most glorified when there's variety and unity in the church. Why? It reflects his character. It images his character. We talked about this last week when we talked about the roles of husbands and wives. When those are going well, it reflects, it images God better. When we have this variety and yet we're singing off the same piece of paper in the church, the greater variety and the more unity is more reflective of the Trinity. And so that's why God loves that. 
So when the church comes together, whether it's men or women, Jew or Gentile, rich or poor, slave or free, European, Asian, African, Indian, Middle Eastern, all those people, all those cultures bring their their gifts, their instrument, and they're all playing the same music, and it's beautiful. Trying to imagine going to a symphony orchestra, and you're so excited about this is... This is Boston or, you know, whoever you think is just, oh, I'd love to see the symphony orchestra. And you pay top dollar to get, you know, front row seat. And you just love the sound. You like the variety and you can't wait. And then the, the conductor comes out and says, you know, everyone's sick except for the kettle drums. And you'd be like, oh, boy, two hours of kettle drums. I mean, is that what you want? You take, I'll take about 30 seconds of kettle drums if they're not mixed in with something else. And that's what Paul's trying to say is, is this one guy, the old bald guy on the bass, if he had just played for an hour, not much would have happened. But as soon as people began to join in, others began to be excited. They become interested. And that's exactly what Paul's trying to help the church to do. So what I want us to notice in these first three points is that before Paul even mentions a spiritual gift, like you might have read this and thought, okay, I can't wait until they talk about tongues and healing. If that's your tendency, then you need this corrective. Three times before he mentions the first gift, he says, first of all, it's not about your experiences. It's about divine gratuity. Secondly, The most spectacular gift given by the Holy Spirit is someone just saying Jesus is Lord. Third, your gift is designed to join with a great variety of other gifts in order to reflect the Trinity. This is for a theologian, for Paul, this is how he takes his congregation to the woodshed. You know what that means? Some of you don't know what the woodshed is. And if you don't, you probably should have gone there at some point in your life. But the woodshed is when you've done something wrong, you've gotten something out of order, you're out of order. Your granddad or your mom or your uncle decides to take you out back and get a switch and help you understand we don't want that kind of activity anymore. And this is Paul taking the prideful, self-centered, look-at-me church, again, not the culture, it's inside the church and saying, Hey, guys, before we talk about spiritual gifts, let's go to the woodshed. Because I can't talk about it if you're going to be prideful about it. I just There's no way to move forward if it's going to be, okay, I've got it, and I've got to make sure everybody knows it. If you, if you have that, that's got to get beaten out before you can really join in the orchestra. Because otherwise, what would happen is if you thought you were the most important thing, like if you were the kettle drum player, You would just come out front in front of everybody and just be banging your drum. And all the people who were wanting to come and be interested would say, you know, I'm not interested because that stupid kettle drum guy, he keeps banging and he's overwhelming everyone else. But did you notice in the very very end when they had the big picture, you didn't even notice the bald guy on the bass anymore, right? He just blended in with every piece of musicians that were there and that's what paul is wanting to make sure we want you to join in your instrument is critical but if you're going to begin to think it's so critical you've got to be out front then we need you to 
get into the woodshed a little bit longer. And so that's what Paul's doing here on these first three points. My fourth point is Paul creates a list here, verses 8 through 11, and then at the end of the chapter, 28 through 30. So it's not meant to be a complete list. There are four or five different lists in the New Testament that Paul talks about spiritual gifts. And some, there's some similarities, some differences. The idea is not Paul just said, here is 12, you've got to find your way. There's all, ki- there's all kinds of variety. He's just mentioning some of them here. There are apostles, prophets, and teachers. See that in verse 28. And these appear to be like foundational gifts to starting a church in the first century. You have apostles who, have, who are eyewitnesses to the re- resurrection. So we wouldn't say today there are apostles in the church. I think the apostleship has ceased because none of those people are alive that actually saw or witnesses witnessed the the um, the resurrection. But all of these gifts are teaching gifts, and I would say prophets and teachers. Those are still things that are can be in our church today, and they help understand and apply the gospel. And then probably connected to those are these gifts of wisdom and knowledge. So I don't think it's just, hey, I, just, I, ne- I wasn't ever reading my Bible and suddenly I've got some piece of knowledge. It's probably in my education, in my understanding, I'm gaining some wisdom and it's now going to be able to be helpful in some way. I'm going to serve it in a way that's helpful for other people. There are spectacular gifts, healing, working, miracles, speaking in tongues. And then there are less spectacular gifts, helping and administration and Paul's saying all these things, they're all important. I love the, the, the word for administration in the Greek. It means steering a ship. So we have all kinds of, of musical instruments, but we've got to have somebody steering the ship. And one of my favorite parts in the video was the guy, you know, he just wandered up, really, right, with a Charlie Brown striped T-shirt. He's like looking around. You know, and he just starts, and he, you know, he's a conductor. You just don't know it right at the beginning. And so what happens is when enough people join together, you need somebody who's not playing an instrument to steer this ship. And that's what Paul, I think, is talking about at that point. Now, in case you don't know, and probably most of you do, there's endless discussion about these topics. What are these gifts? That's one discussion. And then secondly, are they all operative today? And so that's not going to be in this week's sermon. I hate to say, uh, because it's really the focus of chapter 14. That's not the focus of chapter 12. The focus of chapter 12 is understanding how the gifts are supposed to operate, and then he particularly takes them the task on prophecy and tongues, which seem to be the two that are the most out of control in the church, and we'll talk about that when we reach chapter 14. What we want to know for sure is that there's a variety of gifts and unfortunately, it wasn't, they weren't being used in the right way in Corinth. And this is my fifth point. Here's how they're being misused. This is what we can learn about them and maybe about us. And he gives this illustration, which I didn't read, but it starts in verse 12 and goes to verse 26, and it's about the body. And I'll just read a few verses for you. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, we all understand this illustration. Paul's pulling out his verbal PowerPoint. And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ and his church. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, 
Slaves are freeze, free. No matter what gifts we have, we're all made to drink of the same body. That We all would kind of nod and say, we get that. But here's the problem in Corinth. There's a group of people who think their gifts just aren't very valuable. In fact, they're getting the feeling from some people they're not even wanted. So somebody comes in and says, you know, I'm, I'm just not the speaker. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not somebody who's really got a gift that's super noticed and, and it doesn't appear as if anyone even cares. And sometimes if I try to do something or say something, it's almost like, you know, you don't need to be here. And so they're, they're deciding to say, hey, maybe I can just kind of fade off or I can stop playing my instrument. And the way Paul describes it is if the, the foot can't say to the hand, well, I'm just a foot. I'm not like a hand, so I'm unimportant. Or the ear can't say to the eye, well, I mean, I'm not as important as the eye, and so I'm going to stop playing my instrument. Paul says that's absurd. And he kind of makes it absurd. He says, imagine if your whole body was like an eyeball. I mean, who would want a body that's just an eyeball? I mean, it's ridiculous. Except some people in the, were coming to the church and saying, everyone needs to see me first. So they were coming into the church hoping to see God, and what they saw was one person who was a big eyeball. Do you think that's attractive? Yeah, no, it's not. It's grotesque. If you saw somebody who was just an eyeball, you'd be like, whoa, that's gross. <laughs> but you see, I, I want you to understand, that's what Paul is saying. You, you think eyeballs in the church of Corinth, you're gross. He's not trying to be nice. He's trying to really be corrective. And what's happening is the eyeballs in the church are making the people who are ears and feet as if they're not important. And, and their exaggeration of themselves, their promotion of themselves, are causing people to stop playing. And so these other instruments that you don't quite hear distinctively, one by one they begin to shut down. And it's because we've got some eyeballs in the church saying this is the most important gift and we've got to make sure everybody sees it. And that's causing other people who have lesser gifts to fall away. You can see how devastating this is for the church. What what a terrible thing it is for one Christian to say to another, either by your words or your actions, I don't need you. Or if a slave person comes in, And they get the feeling that, well, you're just tolerated. Nobody wants to be in a family, and you may have felt like this, where you just fill out the roster. I mean, I'm third out of five, and I mean, I'm not first, and I'm not special, and I'm not last, so I just kind of fill out the roster on my family. Nobody, nobody likes that feeling. They want their uniqueness to, 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 to not dominate, to be, to be noticed. And some people in the church are looking at people with different gifts or different economic status or gender status or race status. 
And they're kind of putting all those people on the JV team. And a church, if you come to this church or any church that makes you feel like your status is part of the JV squad, you're not at a church that glorify God very well. Here's a picture I've got of Paul in this church this morning. This is a big pill to swallow for this church. This big pill of, of trying to, to get rid of this disease of pride, and they're, no, they're not wanting it. Remember, if you have a dog, you have to give them a pill because they're sick. That's not the funnest part about dog ownership, is it? Right, because you, they can't, you're not supposed to crunch it up, you've got to swallow it. So what do you have to do? Well, you've got to get like an army of people around the dog first. Somebody's got to, you know, get its mouth open. You've got to try to shove it like all the way down to their stomach almost. Then what do you got to do? You've got to hold their mouth and then kind of like rub their throat and say, come on, let's, you know, let's get this pill down. And that's what Paul's having to do right here. This is not something the Corinthians are saying, oh, we're so glad Paul's here to help us and give us a corrective. No. I'm sure when they heard this message, they were like, what? Look, look, look with me in um, verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need for you. On the contrary, this is the big pill. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are, they're indispensable. And the eye is going, no, I'm indispensable. And Paul's going, yeah, I've got to get this pill all the way down. And I've got to grab your mouth and shut it. And I've got to get you to swallow this thing. And I get, I'm betting Paul got bit quite a few times. So this is a hard pill to swallow. Sixth and final point here. Verses 29 and 30, Paul ends by clearly stating everyone receives different gifts. And no one gift other than Jesus as Lord is distributed to everyone. So sometimes, again, in some charismatic circles, well, if you don't have the second blessing and you don't speak in tongues, then you're on the JV squad. And I would just say, read your Bible. It's just right here in black and white. Couldn't be any more clear. Then in verse 30, Paul baits a hook, which is I'm just going to bait the hook to for you for next week. He's trying to get them to swallow tough pills. So at the very end, he says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. Ooh, higher gifts. Yeah, I mean, I've just been swallowing a tough pill. I'm interested in higher gifts. Hmm. And, and there's a more excellent way. Oh, okay. I'm interested in high. You, you know, you've been beating on me. Now I'm interested. Higher gifts, more excellent way. And it's just a hook. I mean, it's a big hook. And the Corinthians, they swallow it all the way down. And he blasts them in Corinthians 13, which is next week's sermon. Sorry. My conclusion is my exhortation. You have to play your instrument. And if you think I'm looking at you, then I'm looking at you. We just can't have you not play your instrument. 
your gift, whatever it is, no matter how small you might think it is, it's a critical part of this whole. And you joining in and trying to sing together with all of us who are using our instruments helps people that may be like you come into the church and say, I can see myself here. I can see how Jesus might use me because he's using somebody that's like me. And if the, only the eyeballs are serving, or if only the hands are serving, that's just not good enough. And so there may be a few of us that have to learn how to back up in some way. But I'm thinking there's a few more of us that need to say, I've got to find a way to play my instrument. And maybe I don't know what, what that is. And Sam will send out some information this week that might help you on that. But I don't think it's rocket science. I think it's just giving it a try and starting to blow on a horn and see if you're good at it. But, but we have to have you play your instrument. Over the next two months, we're going to be unpacking some things that we've been thinking about and praying about from the vision banquet back in January about Christ Community Church 2.0. How can we build on this foundation to expand not do something different, but expand on what we're doing. And so we're going to talk about some clarification. It's going to cause some transition, and it's going to cause some changes. And the thing you can do that would be most helpful is just play your instrument. It won't be anything magical. It'll just be you saying, hey, I heard him press on me. I've got to join in, and I don't know where it is, and I don't want to tell you where it is. I want you to say, I'm going to go find that out. I'm going to figure out where I need to be because I'm not really playing an instrument. I'm just sitting here and then leave on Sunday and that's it. And that, it's not good enough. Not for Christ Community Church, but for the glory of God. And for your own health. So I'm pressing. You feel it? (laughs) Let's pray together.